0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Would you stand with me this morning as we continue in our teaching series in Romans? If you have your Bibles, we're going to be... Starting a new chapter, Romans chapter 6, and by God's grace, we plan to go through verses 1 all the way through verse 12. I'm going to be reading, I believe, four verses this morning from that part of the passage. So, uh, this is the Word of God. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? I'm going to read that again. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now I want us to jump all the way down to verse 11 where it says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12 says, let not sin therefore, reign or rule in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for this uh, just this wonderful gift of being able to come together as your people. When we come together each week, it, it reminds me of your faithfulness, of how you have brought us through another week. You've brought us back together to be able to worship together and Once again, our prayer as we gather together around your word is that we we ask that you would take that word, which you have given to us for our benefit, we ask that you would plant it deep within us and, and cause these doctrines that we are studying, cause them to produce desires in us that glorify you, that lift up Jesus, that help us to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. I pray these things in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I wanna begin this morning by showing you a picture that I took. Um, this picture that's coming up on the screen was taken around the year uh, 2008. Uh, this is my third son. Uh, his name is, was is I was gonna say was Micah, is Micah. <laughs> but... Um, But you know uh, life is full of situations, isn't it where I like to and I've told this to the church a, a thousand times that it's like you're on a, a ship and you're uh, you have to direct that ship and you know where you're supposed to go and you're always you redirect the ship and you you head that direction but something about life as you go about life you can look down and look up and realize that the ship has drifted, right? That, it, that it's not going in the direction it's supposed to go, that it's headed for an iceberg. Or uh, you might realize, man, I've just been going around in circles. I'm not going anywhere. And so one of the things that God has allowed us to do as parents over the years is to, to take our children on trips at a certain age. And this is one of, I think this was Micah's seven, eight-year-old trip. And we went, this is before the... Um, uh, Southern Baptist band uh, on Disney World, but we went to uh, Disney World and on his trip. And as you can see, he's he's uh, standing there in front of of the the castle. And one of the things uh, about uh, these trips is that it gives us gave me time to get to know that child, to to talk about things, to see where the ship was headed in their life. And on this trip, I realized a couple of things. Number one, I realized that. Uh, Micah needed new shoes. Now, if you'll go to the next slide, you can see um, I didn't notice notice this back at home, so he needed new shoes. Secondly, uh, related to those shoes is that he needed to learn how to tie shoes. Uh, Those are slip-ons, and so he had been wearing those, I guess, his whole life, or somebody had been tying his shoes. He didn't realize how to tie a shoe, Uh, but there was something else that I learned while I was on the trip. And that is um, that he did not know how to make decisions uh, for himself. And, and this came to light to me because I would say, hey, uh, where do you want to go to eat? Or what, what do you want to watch on TV uh, in, in the, in the uh, were y'all there? Yeah, the hotel. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what ride do you want to ride? And, he, and his answer was always like, I, I don't know. And so as we spent time together, I realized that what had happened is that he has, had, has two older brothers who, and if, you, if you're in a family, the older brothers and sisters often can tell the younger one what they like and what they think, and so they don't have to think for themselves. And so I took Micah on that trip, and I told him, I said, Micah, listen, you no longer have to obey your older brother brothers. And this light bulb went on in his head and he has never looked back since. Uh, he never obeyed them again. Uh, but what I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. Um, just like I freed Micah from the, the reign of his older brothers so that he could begin to develop and to think and to reason and to make wise decisions, in a similar way, Jesus has freed his people from the reign or the rule of sin so that we can begin living in the newness of life that, that he offers to us. And so the point I want to get to today, and this is the title of today's message, is that because we, Jesus has set us free, we are free, this means that we don't have to sin. You don't have to sin. Now, if you're taking notes, um, and when you came in, you should have gotten what we call the weekly. On the back here, you can take notes. I've got some uh, blanks that you can fill in on that. But if you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to to write down is that you don't have to sin because you died to sin sin. You don't have to sin if you understand that when you came to Christ, and I'm talking to the church right now, when you came to Christ, you died to sin. Let's look at verse 1 and 2 again. What shall we say then? This is Paul talking uh, to someone who is is, um, going in the wrong direction. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no... by no means. Then he says this phrase, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, why does Paul say that? Uh, What does it it mean to die to sin? If if you had to answer that question right now, what would your answer be? Well, good news is I'm gonna give you just a few minutes to think about that as I tell you uh, why Paul is even asking this question. Why is Paul even saying what he said in verse one? Uh, we got to understand the context, and in order to do that, remember last week in, in, in chapter five that we were talking about Adam and Jesus, and that Paul makes a case to show us that Jesus is so superior to Adam. Anything that Adam did, Jesus is superior to it. He has overcome him. And so he wants us to understand that Jesus didn't just barely save us, that he just kind of Uh, barely paid for our sins. Rather, Paul spends a lot of energy in chapter 5 working hard to communicate that that Jesus' work on the cross totally and completely destroyed the work of uh, of our sins and paid for our sins and has set us free. And so uh, he wants us to have, Paul wants us to have uh, unwavering, rejoicing confidence in Jesus. And so, he ends chapter 5 with a verse which is one of the most powerful and one of the most dangerous verses in the Bible. He says, "Now the law came in to increase the trespass." In other words, God's moral law God gave that moral law so that we could see how sinful sin is, how devastating sin is. And then he says, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now, this teaching of grace is is powerful and it's it's very dangerous. It's powerful because I don't know um, if you've noticed this, but if you've been walking with Jesus, the closer you get to Jesus... You don't feel like you're better. The closer you get to Jesus, actually, the worse you feel about yourself, what, about your works, about who you are, and that's because Jesus. When you come to Jesus, He is perfect, and we are not. And when the closer you get to Him, you realize, you know, when I honestly, when I got saved, um, this is embarrassing what I'm about to share here. But when I got saved, I thought, you know. Okay, I needed a savior, but Jesus, I mean, he got a pretty good deal when, when, he, when he, see how embarrassing that is? Um, that was when I first got saved at six. I was six years old, okay? But the more I've walked with him, the more I've realized, wow, my sin has increased in one sense, but this teaching, his grace is, abounds all the more. I don't care how bad I see myself, I can realize that his grace is greater. And so instead of pulling away from Jesus, this teaching is meant to cause us to go towards him because Jesus saw all that all at, at the very beginning anyway. So this teaching is very powerful because it has the power to transform our lives. God's grace is extremely powerful when it's rightly applied, but it's also potentially dangerous. This doctrine, this teaching is dangerous if it's misapplied, and it often is misapplied. You can twist the grace of God by reasoning like this. Okay, Paul, you're saying that when my sin increases, God's grace increases, and therefore it shows us how glorious he, it, he is. So logically, I need to increase my sinning, right, in order that God may be glorified all the more. And listen, that is a twisted teaching that actually is, uh, it's, being t- it's being taught, it was taught back then, it's being taught now. Um, it, can be, it can distort the grace of God. And this is what Paul was being accused of back then. Uh, in Romans 3, in verse 8, you may remember that people were saying, and why not do evil that good may come? They were already, he's already addressing this back then, he mentions it back then, but today, he is addressing it. He's going to respond to this. And um, it's, it might be helpful for us to know that those who set aside God's law, his moral law, are known as antinomians. Antinomians. Uh, the, their teaching, which is known as antinomianism, had, as I said, had already begun to spread in the church back then, to distort the grace of God um, they teach that the moral law no longer applies to us, and you can just do whatever you want to. Uh, Jude, in the book of Jude, verse 4, Jude talks about this type of a distortion. He says in verse 4, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So the teaching that, you know, of grace, the true teaching of grace, and and this is part of the teaching, that we are not required, listen, we are not required to do good works in order to be saved. That teaching is, is dangerous, because there are those who, to their destruction, will use it as a license to sin. And that's what Paul is addressing here. Uh, It's a dangerous teaching, but we we need to keep preaching it anyways. Uh, I love what John Stott says about this. He says, if we are proclaiming Paul's gospel with its its emphasis on the freeness of grace and the impossibility of self-salvation... We are sure to provoke the charge of antinomianism. If we do not arouse this criticism, the likelihood is that we are not preaching Paul's gospel. Paul's answer to his critics is that God's grace not only forgives sins, but also delivers us from sinning. So let me bring all of, I know I've told, uh, gone around the, the mountain to tell this story but, uh, or to get to this point, but let me bring it all together. When Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? His immediate response is by no means, no, no way. How, anyone that understands the grace of God would not, would not think like that. And that's when he says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So what does that mean to die to sin? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that you won't desire to sin, that you won't be tempted to sin. Uh, Otherwise, if that was what it meant, Paul would not tell us in verse 12 uh, not to allow sin to reign in our mortal body. We're going to get, I'm going to talk more about that in just a minute. But I wanna just start out by saying that that, that that is not what it means. And when you're looking at the interpretation of what it means to die to sin, there are, there's more than one view on this. Uh, I'm gonna give two of the most uh, prevalent views. Uh, the most accepted interpretation that I'm aware of is where Paul is, when he talks about dying to sin, what he's talking about is our initial conversion where um, we, when you came to Jesus, church, when you came to him, you believed that he did something for you, right? You believed that he what? Died for you and rose again. You believed that. When you believed, when you put your faith in him, somewhere in that time period, I don't know when and how, but sometime in that that time period, it wasn't just what he did for us. God did something to us, something that you couldn't do to yourself, something that you couldn't do for yourself. And that is that he, by his Holy Spirit, he put to death with uh, that which was in you, he put to death with regards to the reign of sin, the the, the reign of sin in your life. He put that to death. In other words, he set you free from the power, uh, the, the influence of our former master which was sin. And so the, the analogy goes that we should be like, uh, we're, we should be a, a corpse that's dead uh, is not, uh, does not sin. And so that's why he says we must too consider ourselves to be dead to sin. And so what Paul is doing here is he's talking about something that, something that really happened in a true believer. When you came to Jesus, you've got to re- understand something that the jail cell, the door, the lock was broken off and the doors open and you're free now to walk out in one sense. I don't know. I, I was reading this article about, uh, there was this couple that I think they broke into a building and they got, uh, stuck into a closet, uh, for two days they were locked in the closet, um, or they thought they were because when the police came, uh, they, call, they they had a cell phone, they ended up calling 911, and when the police came, they realized that the door didn't have a lock on it. They had thought they were locked in something that they were not. Therefore, they stayed in the state they were in. Paul is wanting us to see: no, you've died to sin. You don't have to sin. That's the, that's the first view of this. The second one uh, is one that John Stott, again, uh, he's one of the guys that I – Uh, have used to to study this this passage. Um, He says that um, Paul is referring not to the death, to a death to the power of sin, but to a death to its guilt. That is, to our justification. He's saying that uh, the penalty for sin was put to death, has been put to death on the cross. Now, in this his statement here, in, in, in his writings, he's, he doesn't he seems to reject the view uh, of uh, where Paul is talking about dying to the power of sin. But personally, I don't think that these two views are necessarily mutually exclusive. We don't have to choose one or the other. I think that they can work together in this because in Stott's view, he he seems to keep in step with with Paul's overall reasoning where we are in the passage because Paul say, say, is saying this. If, uh, if you truly understand the grace of God, uh, if, if you truly understand what Jesus has done for you, then you can no longer continue to walk in, in sin. In other words, how can we who understand and believe the gospel, how can we who understand all that Jesus went through for our sin, how can we who know we have been forgiven of our sins, how can we who have been set free from the power and the penalty of sin, still live in it. We've died to sin. I, th- I think it's, it's reasonable to say that Paul could be teaching and is teaching both. That, that true saving grace sets us free from both, the power and the penalty of sin. Because we've died to sin, listen, because we've died to sin, sin no longer has to be, or is your master. Now, it can call out to you and act like it's your master, but it cannot make a true believer obey it because it has the sin that the rain has been broken, has been put to death. So we don't have to sin, number one, because we've died to sin. Secondly, if you're taking notes, we don't have to sin because you've been united with Christ. You've been united with Christ. Let's look at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5 says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now notice in this passage, uh, Paul makes reference to baptism here. I love this. We're, we're, uh, we're going to be having a baptism service in just a, a little bit here this morning. And that Greek word, uh, baptizo, means it's, it means to be plunged into. It, it means to be sunk, you know, like a ship sunk. It means to be drowned. And what's interesting to me is back up in verse 2 of, of this passage, when, when Paul says, how can he who died to sin... Still living it. That word died, it means to die by drowning. Uh, it, it's an interesting, I, I found that interesting when I was st- uh, studying that, that this week. So at the end of this service, uh, we are going to have the privilege of witnessing a, a baptism. Uh, Braylon, I promise you, we're not going to drown you in there, but it is a wonderful, rich picture. Uh, of an outward reality. It's an inward reality. It's the inward union. It's the inward union that we have received with Christ. So baptism is a picture of death. It's a picture of cleansing. It's a picture of resurrection. It's a picture of how we've been flooded, uh, drowned in the grace of God so that we might be raised to walk in newness of life. That means, it means that, it's a picture of that, that uh, the gospel teaches us that all of us who have come to Christ, we are done with our old self. You don't have to identify yourself as you were. You're united with Christ. Let's look at verse uh, six. It says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing or or that it might be done away with so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. That this is a uh, the this is a one-time, unrepeatable act. Jesus is never going to die again. He died one time for all, but the life he lives. He lives to God. This is a continual, eternal act. Death is a one-time act. Living for the believer is eternal. Living to God is eternal forever. And in verse 11, he goes, so you also must consider yourselves or reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God In Christ Jesus. Now I know when when I read something like this, it's kind of like way up here, isn't it? Theoretical stuff. But let me just tell you that this is this is not self-help, you know, positive thinking, mind over matter, therapeutic rigmarole. This is this is not something that's that's just you know, oh, I gotta I gotta make this happen. No, these are truths. These are realities of what I'm talking here. If you have, listen, if you've put your faith in Jesus, what I just, what Paul just described here, if you've, if you've received the abundance of grace that he offers to you, the free gift of righteousness, um, put another way, if you've quit trying to please God by your works and have, are trusting in Christ's work, then God did something to you he put to death your old identity, and then he united you to Christ. You need to understand, you are united to Christ, and he is your new identity. What I'm talking about here is not something that, it's something that we have to uh, meditate on. Really think about these things. Let them sink into our hearts so that it transforms our lives. These are truths that are true of you if you are a believer, Um. I I love what Gary Myler says about this, about our identity in Christ. He says, when people come uh, to new life in in Christ, our first instinct is to teach them to do, to read the Bible, attend church, become part of an MC, to give, and, and so on. Now, Don't be an antinomian in this, okay? Don't go, oh yeah, that's horrible stuff. Let's don't teach any of that. That, Okay, don't miss the point here. He says, and of course, all these things are important. But there is a prior step. If we are to negotiate living for Christ in all the muck of life, if we are to cope with the ups and downs of our emotions and the whims of circumstance and the sheer pressure of our human brokenness, then the first step, here it is, is to make sure that we know who we are as children of God, as those who have been united to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been united with Christ, and you know what that means? I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again. You being united to Christ means that we have a new identity, which means that what's true of Jesus is true of you. Uh When it says that he lived a perfect life, if you were united to him, that means that you, through Jesus, lived a perfect life. You get credit for that. He was punished and died uh, in our place. If you are in Christ, listen, that means this truth right here, I don't know how many times this truth has just set me free that um, Jesus died for my sins, he was punished for what I deserve. And I don't have to be punished for it, again, because it's already, I've already been punished. I don't know if you ever are in a place where, where you're so convicted by your life, what you did uh, or what you didn't do, um, bad decisions you made, uh, decisions you didn't make that you should have made in the past, and you're in a certain place right now, and you're feeling broken, you're feeling you're down. And, you're, and you know, something in you knows you deserve God's punishment. The gospel, the good news, when I trust, I, I'm like, well, you know what? What do I got to do? I'm going to believe that Christ was punished, the truth that he was punished for me. I'm going to receive his grace. I'm going to receive his mercy. That truth, I don't know how many times that truth has put out the fire in me. Because I get, I can come to a place of despair when I realize uh, that i don't deserve the grace of God, and which church for me is every morning, literally I wake up realizing I don't deserve to, to go to heaven and I have to remind myself of these wonderful truths that I'm preaching right here that uh, that in Christ that's not me anymore I have been I am identifying with what he has done for me so if you're in Christ. You're going to get raised from the dead. Um, You are a perfect child. You are a saint. And so knowing this, that means that if you sin as a saint, it means that you have just forgotten who you are in Christ. And you need to be reminded so that you can repent, receive forgiveness, and then walk in the newness of life. Isn't that, isn't the gospel wonderful? Isn't it powerful to keep us moving forward? Now, um. This understanding this though what I just shared can take time. I, I know parents who have uh, adopted children that lived on the streets in other countries and they've told me stories where they they said the strangest thing they've, they've come home they they're living with us, and we go in their closet and we find food stashed away in their in the closet and the question that they would ask is why is that and, and it's not because the parents didn't love them. It's not because the parents did not, like, uh, I don't know if you've ever adopted or known anyone that adopts, but it's not, it costs a lot. It costs energy, time, emotions, all the, the parents had poured everything out for the child to show them that they love them, that they care for them. They have meals. Uh, it's not because they weren't cared for. Uh, it's because the children had lived so long in the slavery, in their slavery of to hunger and to poverty, that they hadn't come to the point yet to understand their new identity in the new family. Church, isn't that what we can be like at times? Maybe you've had a habit that's, that uh, you weren't even you got saved uh, and you didn't even realize it was sin. But as you walked closer to Jesus, He says, "Okay, here's here's a sin." Sin increases, and it's something that you've done for years, and this is where the grace of God can break that chain. If you will keep coming to Jesus, keep uh, don't pull away from Him, but but push in. Know that your new identity—that's not me. I'm still tempted in that, but that's not me. I believe that you know what Paul is trying to to, to teach, and this is repetitive. We teach this over and over, and Paul keeps talking about this, but he wants us to renew, to refresh, and to encourage our hearts and minds with these truths so that we can be, live lives that are free from sinning. So we don't have to sin. You don't have to sin if you understand that, number one, you've died to sin. Number two, that you've been united with Christ. And then lastly, if you understand that you will always be tempted to sin. Now, you may be going, why is that something I need to understand? Well, this is something um, that was has again has been very instrumental in my own life. Let's look at verse 12. It says, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Paul is clearly talking to the church here. He's clearly talking to those who've been born again, who have the new nature. He's saying, You know what? You can still. Be tempted, and sin can still take control. You can give yourself over to your sin and let it have its way with your body. And this is a truth that that we need to grasp if we're going to have victory that we're going to always, in this side of eternity, struggle with sin. Uh, We will have the desires, the temptation to obey its passions, uh, even after we've died to sin, even after we have been united to Christ. There is going to be that desire, that temptation um, inside of you. And if you're like me, you know, I'm just like, I just want this thing to be done. I don't want to struggle with, with sin anymore. Oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face, that song right there it just it just talks about when, when that line comes up, i 'm like, yeah, I get it I'm, I'm tired of wrestling with my flesh and, and with, with uh, the desires of, of sin to obey its passions. and when I was younger, when I was first came to Christ, uh, for some reason, i didn't understand this truth that i 'm teaching right here that sin is something i 'm going to have to deal with the rest of my life um, for some reason. Uh, I thought when I came to Jesus that I was just going to be just like Jesus, perfect, and that, that uh, there, there would no longer be in me uh, a need to you know go, oh, I've sinned. But if you have walked with Christ, you know that that's not the truth. But when I sinned, because I didn't understand this, I got discouraged, and I began to doubt my salvation. I must not be saved. If if I keep wrestling with sin, and I didn't understand, and here's what I didn't understand: I didn't understand that salvation is a process. It's a process. Okay. Um, now let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, all through the first five chapters, uh, Paul has been talking about justification, being declared righteous before God. So when you come to Christ, when you finally surrender, when you say no more me. It's, it's about Christ. When you come to him and put your faith in him, immediately you're justified. You are declared righteous before God. No more steps. You don't have to do anything else. You've, you've put your faith in Christ. But the next three chapters, 6, 7, and 8, Paul is going to take time to discuss the process of what is known as sanctification. Um, some have said that this process is, what it, what it means is you be, you're becoming In this life, you're becoming who you already are in Christ. And and when when God begins a new work in you, he will bring it to completion. And so it's it's, it's a process, and it's, it's important to understand it takes time. Now, this is important for me to understand about myself. It's important for you to understand it about myself and for me to understand it about you because we all need to grow in Christ, all of us. It gives me patience uh, for other people when I realize, okay, they're just at a different place than I am. And I'm, and I ask that you would have patience with me too, because I'm still growing. But the point I'm getting at here is that each day, God is going to give us opportunities to grow in sanctification. Um, These come in in the form of trials, things you don't want in your life, it comes in the form of somebody doing something to you uh, that's against what you, that, that's, that's not right, and, uh, or situations uh, with your finances or just feelings inside, and then you have the choice to either trust God, right? Walk in the new identity, or like I said last week, go back to Adam and handle it the way that he, he, he does, well, in closing, I want to give uh, four just practical ways that uh, have, I've practiced over the years uh, that maybe they will be helpful to you as you're seeking to live a life free from sinning, not in order to gain Christ's uh, approval, but because you've already received it. Here's the first one, um, four ways that I've fought sin. Number one is uh, identify it, identify it when it comes. This week... This week, I want you to remember what I just said. When that temptation, that uh, trial comes to you, I want you to go, okay, this is what James was talking about. This right here is that trial. This is that test. This is another opportunity for me to exercise my faith, to trust God, to do what is right, to do what will glorify God in this situation. So that's number one. Number two is remember that it's not primarily about you. Remember that it's not, life is not primarily about you. Now, you and I are in the story, but we're not the main character. When we came before Christ, it was all about me. I'm the main character and everybody around me is my supporting cast. When I came to Christ, I said, it's no longer about me. It's all about Christ. I want to live my life for Christ. I want to glorify Christ I want my life to count for Jesus. It's, it's all about glorifying God. So remind yourself of that. When you, whatever your situation is, the question you need to ask, okay, I've got a decision to make right now. What will glorify God? What is gonna glorify God in this? That might be helpful for you this week. Number three, don't try to walk alone. Don't try to walk alone. If you look at this passage I counted how many times the word "we" w e appears. It appears 13 times. We, the word "our," is in there, and then the word "you." You know what? That word "you" is in the plural. There is no singular words in here for you to walk alone. We are we are we have been given. This is this is uh, something that we teach a lot. We are to uh, God has given us the community, the church, of those who can encourage us that we can walk beside. I know it takes time to build trust, and that's why we want you know, to encourage the, coming to the worship service, coming to missional communities and having dinners outside of church, building relationships, but don't try to walk alone in this. Get to a place where you can say, hey, you know, I'm struggling with this. Thank you for sharing that with me and, and helping one another through these situations. So don't try to walk alone. And number four, and this is the one, if you don't remember the the first three, this is the one you need to walk away with. Grace is greater than your sin. God's grace is greater than your failures, than your uh, not doing things right, and you're in a situation that you're in now that because of what you did. But now you are turning to God. His grace is greater. Now, don't be an antinomian in this. And go, well, I'm just gonna keep sinning. But also don't pull away from Christ in this. And you know, like I said earlier, there's there's decisions that that uh, that we've all made. Did you know that everything you've done is in the past? So there's there's decisions that we've made that can just, they can be like monsters that can just try to pull me back in to uh destruction and and to be brought down low. But when I remember that. Grace is greater, that where sin increased, grace abounds all the more. It gives me hope and the ability to remember and the power that I don't have to sin. And church, neither do you because of what Christ has done for us. Amen? Amen. Amen.